ask you to find with me this morning the book of John, chapter 5, as we continue our study on Sunday mornings in the book of John, John, chapter 5. We'll begin to read this morning in verse number 8. I want to speak to you this morning for a few moments on this subject, learning how to walk. Learning how to walk. John, chapter 5, and we'll begin to read in verse number 8. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can, and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading. Of God's word. When John chapter 5, beginning to read in verse number 8, the Bible says these words Then Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Let's pray together. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us and challenge us this morning. And God, it's so easy for us just to become calloused uh, to the norm and that it's just another Sunday and just another message. But God, I pray that this won't be that kind of day. God, I pray for the one that's here that truly never has responded to Christ's invitation to experience new life and in Him. God, I pray that as the Spirit of God convicts them of their lostness and their need for Jesus, God, that they'll turn from their sin this morning and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. God, I pray for spiritual needs that are represented in the life of our church amidst those who've already been saved. God, I pray for those who, who have a spirit of pride this morning who, that's gripped them, those who have drifted away from you. God, they're backslid today. They're not wholly all in ser- serving the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray you'll challenge them today. This will be a beginning of renewal and revival in their work as you revive them to a fresh new beginning, a fresh consecration to Christ's lordship. Father, I pray any other need that's represented in this place, God, will be met today as we humbly submit our lives to you. God, challenge us today and remind us of of these truths of how this man began to learn to walk. And I pray that there'll be be a reality in our life, not just today, but every day. It's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. I think it was back in May prior to beginning a study in the book of John, we preached one Sunday morning the first part of John chapter 5. Jesus has now made his way back to Jerusalem. Um, As he's passing through the Sheep Gate, verse number 2, he comes to a place where there's a pool, the place there in Bethesda. It's where those who were sick and who were lame and broken were laid each day. They were trusting in a man-made tradition to if the water was stirred to try to make it into the water before someone else that was their only hope for a new beginning but jesus comes to this place where there was no hope 
and he offered hope. He found an individual that he chose to show mercy and grace to. And he asked the man a question in verse number 6. It was a man who had been lame for 38 years, verse number 5 says. He'd been in this case for many days. And verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he offered an invitation to the man. He says, do you want to be made well? And this guy had a decision to make. First of all, you know, was he really tired of the status quo? Did he want a change in his life that only Jesus could bring? But he needed to understand that if change came, change was really going to take place. He couldn't lay there anymore. He's going to have to have a different kind of life. And so there were things that he really had to think about at Christ's invitation. The sick man answered and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the water uh, before it's stirred. And while, I'm, while it's coming, another steps down before me. He was hoping in this superstitious belief that if somehow they made it into the water after it was stirred, somehow that it would heal them. But there the giver of life and all healing, the great physician, stood before him. And Jesus issued another invitation. Verse number 8, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And so after this command, this man learns four truths that are going to help him learn how to walk spiritually he responded to Christ's invitation and he was healed but now real life begins real life in Christ now he has to begin to learn how to walk as he follows Jesus I hope these four truths will be an encouragement to you and also be a reality in your life as a believer number one I want you to notice the truth this morning of the expedience through obedience the expedience through obedience verse number eight again says uh, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. So three commands Jesus gave him. Rise, take up your bed you've been laying on, and then walk away from the place. And so the benefit this man received in his life, it was directly tied to his obedience to Christ's command. Uh, Jesus told him to rise, and he had to believe that he, that he could. And so he had a measure of faith. And in that faith, Christ healed him. But then he had two more choices that he had to make, to take up his bed and leave the place, and also to walk away from that place, to begin following the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse number 9, and immediately the man was made well, and so by faith he stood. He had never attempted to stand before that the text shows because he knew that he was crippled. Why would he even try? He knew he didn't have the strength to do it. But he had faith in the command, and in the power that Jesus had. And so he attempted to stand by faith, and he did. And because Christ saw the faith in his heart, he healed him, and the man was able to stand. In obedience, in faith he stood, but then notice in obedience, he took up and he walked. There were, there were two, two more commands. Rise, take up your bed. And walk, and so he did those things. Verse 9 says, Immediately the man was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. By faith, he responded to the word in repentance and faith at salvation. And we do that as well. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you, my friend, of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And so the plan of salvation is shared with people. That's what we share with you. Today, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My friend, that's all people. Everybody has been born with a sin nature. And because of that, Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says that sin separates us from God. No amount of religion, no amount of doing, my friend, can draw you closer to God because sin separates you from God. There's a penalty for our sin. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the penalty for that sin is death. One day when a person dies, and it's appointed a man wants to die and then the judgment. If a person dies without their sins ever being forgiven, the Bible says they'll spend eternity in a place called hell. But friend, there's good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so the Holy Spirit calls us to turn from all our sin. And we have to repent, Romans 13, 3. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. I want you to listen to me this morning. All people are born heading in the same direction. Someone asked me one time when I was trying to witness him, well, what do I have to do to die and go to hell? Absolutely nothing. Just be born and then die, and that's where you'll find yourself. But in order, my friend, to go to heaven, you have to repent. That is to have an agreement with God, to have a change of heart, to agree with what the Bible says about you, and to turn from all your sin in saving faith to Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, to confess Christ with your mouth, which your heart is believed. Just like this man believed in the power of God to heal him, you've got to believe in the power of God to save you and to trust him to be Lord, L-O-R-D, of your life. And when your mouth confesses that by faith, my friend, you've been born again to the family of God. And so you're able to stand into a new life. But listen to me, that's just the beginning. Now, you, now you've been saved into a new life of obedience. And you need to learn the lesson of the expedience of obedience. Every other benefit and blessing that comes about in your life is related to Christ's commands. It's only experienced through obedience. The reason this man was able to enjoy now the view away from the porch was because he took up his bed and he walked away. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, but also to have life more abundantly. And the only way you're able to enjoy, my friend, the view of the abundant life that Christ has saved you and the tailored design for you, tailored design for you, away from your sinful past, is to take up your bed, my friend, your place of residency, and to walk away from it following Jesus Christ. And we do that in obedience. I'm telling you, my friend, there is no substitute for obedience. There's none. And, and I, was, I was sad that our, our Sunday school, even though we've got a great Sunday school study in the book of James right now, the, the author of the lesson didn't spend a lot of detail and time in, in James chapter 1, in the latter parts, James 1, beginning to read in verse number 22, James wrote to those Jewish Christians, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And everybody loves to quote that part. But the last part of the verse isn't always, isn't always quoted. James goes on to say, deceiving yourselves. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What does he mean? He says, so many people hear the word of God and think hearing is enough. Just because I've received it, then God's blessing is going to come about. I know I say it often, friend, but it's, it's truth. Hell's going to be full of people who knew the gospel right up here. They knew it. 
They knew what it took to be saved. They've heard the plan of salvation shared so many times. They could stand in the stadium and preach like Billy Graham the gospel. They've heard it so many times. But listen, they've never repented and they never trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. They never obeyed the gospel. It never became a reality. How many of you people know that the Bible says we're, we're to read God's word consistently? How many of you know that? Raise your hand this morning. Well, I'm not going to ask you this. Put your hands down. How many of you do it on a daily basis? How many of you know that we're to pray without ceasing? Would you, would you raise your But I, I won't embarrass you. How many of you do it on a consistent basis? How many of you know Christ has commanded the church to live on mission? Raise your hands high. The Bible says that. Put your hands down. How many of you actually live on mission? You see, the benefit doesn't come from you just knowing. There's expedience to obedience. And so Jesus called the man to stand, but he also told him to take up his bed and to walk, to walk away from that life. And it's a lesson that we've got to learn. When you begin to walk, walk and follow Jesus Christ, there's no substitute for obedience. You can't just sing about it. You can't just talk about it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. And I submit to you again, my friend, the reason our world is in the shape that it's in, this simplistic truth. Listen, friend, the world doesn't need more light. The world needs more people that can see. Listen, friend, a blind man doesn't need more light. He can't see anything. You could put him up next to the sun and all he'd do is burn up. He wouldn't see it. Blind people need to see. And the hope of our world, friend, is for people to respond to the gospel so that though they were once blind, they can see. And God has called the church to share. And so we all affirm, yes, Jesus has called the church to live on mission. But nobody's going to be saved, friend, until the church lives on mission. We've got to be obedient to it. I'm telling you, my friend, I believe this with all my heart. Our country is reaping a harvest from the failure of the church to live on mission all these years. I know the easy thing, and I hear people talk, oh, it's this party's fault, or it's this president's fault, it's this group's fault. My friend, the problem with our country doesn't belong to any political party. It lays at the feet of the church. And judgment will begin first at the house of God. We fail to live on mission. We talk about living on mission. We have conferences about living on mission. We sing songs about rescue the perishing, care for the dying. My house is full, but my fields are empty. Well, friends, sooner or later, somebody's got to push away and go and work. Go and work. The expedience to obedience. I cannot share with you how many times since God called me into ministry, I have sat and talked with people who tell me how miserable they are in their life. They have no joy. They have no happiness. They, they have no peace whatsoever. And I'll begin to talk to them. They, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt they can point to the day where they repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of their life. Listen to me. And then I'll begin to ask them this simple question. What did you do for your quiet time today? And boy, they'll fly off the handle. Well, what's that got to do with anything? My friend, it's got everything to do with everything. You can't obey what you don't know. You can't obey what you don't know. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 4, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And my friend, when you don't obey the word of God, it's not just sins of commission, it's sins of omission. There are things that God calls us to do and we refuse to do it. That's sin in our heart. 
and sin separates us from God. Psalm 66, verse 18, it silences our prayer life. It mutes it. God says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear you. It's the expedience to obedience. Do you want a blessed life? Do you want to enjoy the, the bounty of the abundant life that God has saved you to experience? My friend, you will not find it apart from obedience. How many times have you tried to witness to somebody that you know saved, but they're not in church and they're not serving the Lord? And they'll say, you'll encourage them, say, listen, you need to start serving the Lord. And they'll say, I know, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know, I was raised in church, I know. You ever heard that? Well, no one doesn't do you a bit of good, friend, if you don't do it. Mike, can I tell you this, my friend? It would be better off if you never knew than to not do it. Be better off to not even know. There's the expedience to obedience. There is no substitute for it. James says when we refuse to do that, we deceive ourselves thinking that hearing is enough. The second truth that he learned that day and that we need to learn is, is the evil in pretext. The evil in pretext. Well, now, you would think that if anybody would be excited... It would be the nation of Israel who God called to be a kingdom of priests, that through them Christ would come. He, he made a covenant with Abraham. I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. And in the fullness of time, Christ was born. Now he was beginning his ministry. John had affirmed, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is, this is the Messiah. He's here and Jesus is ministering. Lives are being changed. This man who couldn't walk, now he could walk. And you'd think that the people of God who represented God would be excited, right? Wrong. Look what the Bible says, the evil in pretext. Friend, I want to remind you again this truth before I read the verse. I've shared this many times in discipleship on Sunday night. When you take a passage out of context, it becomes what? Pretext. Anytime you take a passage of Scripture out of its context, to make it fit whatever you want to fit, it then becomes pretext, and there's, there's an evil in that. Look what the Bible says in verse number 10 of John chapter 5. So the man, verse 9, he's, he is, he's, he's been made well. He took up his bed. He's, he's, he is beginning to walk. Very important, end of verse number 9. And that day was the Sabbath. And the Jews, therefore, who were standing around, this is the cold water committee, you know, that want to pour water on every fire that God lights. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, Man, we're so excited for you. 30, 38 years you haven't been able to walk, and now you are. Let's tell No, that's not what they said. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Well, he didn't know what to think. Man, he's got this new beginning. Jesus, if he didn't know that it was Jesus, but the Spirit of God spoke to his heart who he was and what was going on. He had faith. He's got this new life. Now these representatives, these, don't miss this, these church folk, all he knows is that they're religious. And he's been separated from that all this time. He's trying to make his, listen, this guy has the opportunity to go to church for the first time, for the first time in at least 38 years. He's got the opportunity to go. And so he's making his way to church and to worship God. And so here the religious crowd comes and says, Hey, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Well, 
where did they get that from? Well, from two places. I'll reference you. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 21. Listen to what God said through Jeremiah. Now remember, this was before and during the 586 B.C. judgment of the southern kingdom. And because the southern kingdom had perverted the true worship of God and, and had also uh, oppressed the poor, the two major sins, but they didn't hallow or honor God's word. They were only concerned about personal gain and themselves. And God said to them, Thus says the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it into the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. Well, the Sabbath was the last day of the week. And it was not to be a burden to the nation of Israel. It was to be a blessing. It was to be a day to rest and also to demonstrate faith in the Lord that he would provide, but also memorialize the rest that they had in God. And so many of the people, they didn't honor that. And they just they worked for personal gain, not because they... Had to. Now, I'm going to make a disclaimer because I'll get a letter. Somebody will get mad. Listen, friend, you, you can't help what the work schedule is down at the factory and where you work. And that's not what I'm trying to say, and that's not what the Bible's trying to say. The Bible's saying these people had a choice. This was an agricultural community. And these people were choosing to work on the Sabbath, didn't care what God's Word said, because all they wanted to do was to make another dollar. And so God had said... You're not to carry any burden on the Sabbath for the point, look at verse number 22, or listen to it, of, of, of making personal gain to do work. Well, these people took that, the Pharisees, stay with me, and they added 39 don'ts, things you couldn't do on the Sabbath, and don't number 39 would have encompassed picking up a bedroll and carrying it back home to carry any burden. Well, that's not what the Word of God had said. But they said, oh yeah, see right there, you can't carry that mat. God says don't carry a burden on the Sabbath. No, He said don't carry a burden for the point of enhancing personal gain. It doesn't mean if you dropped your bedroll, it's got to lay there on the floor until the next day. That doesn't mean, you know, if Grandma fell out of her chair and she can't get up, you let her lay there until the next day. They were taking passages of Scripture out of context, and when you do that, it becomes, it becomes pretext. You say, well, what does that have to do in the day in which we'll, we live? Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning to read in verse 3. Paul says, in the last days, the time will come when there will be people in the church who will not endure sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? It is the pure preaching and teaching of God's written word not adding anything to it, and not taking anything away from it. Exactly as God has said it, that's the pure, pure doctrine of God's Word. He said, the time will come in the last days when people will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. That's the pure truth of God's Word, and be turned aside to fables. You say, are we talking about Aesop's fables or no? That Greek word for fables means fiction. 
it means things that are tied to Scripture but are taken out of context, and therefore they become pretext. And they build disciples and they teach people to be things and do things, friend, listen, that are completely contrary to Scripture. And that's why last week, you know, some of you kind of turned your eyes. I wasn't chastising you, but I was trying to encourage you. When I say look at your Bibles, look at your Bibles. When I say look at verse number 1 or verse number 2, you need to look at verse number 1 or verse number 2. Why? Because, friend, I might say something that's out of line. It won't be intentional, but the Word of God says what it says, my friend. It is forever settled in heaven, and God's Word will stand. It'll stand. And the only way, my friend, you can be misguided from God's Word is if it's taken taken out of context, and then becomes pretext. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day where there are Bible teachers who are purposefully taking God's Word out of context. It therefore becomes pretext, they are mis- misleading people for the whole point of personal gain. Why? Because it's what people want to hear. And I'm telling you, my friend, the major doctrine that's absent preaching to teaching today is that of lordship. It's that of surrender. It's more, it, listen, it's a gospel that's more palatable to people. It's all about you, and that's why you've got to make sure this guy had to learn. Here were these religious leaders that were saying, hey, you can't carry that mat. That's contrary to Scripture. Well, that wasn't true. But he didn't know. And you may hear something. You may hear, you know, Dr. Bottlestopper or Sister Crypuff, you know, on the radio saying this. You say, you know, that just doesn't sound right. We don't have to write them. You can call me. I'll be glad to talk to you. But my friend, what you can do is go to the Word of God and measure what they're saying. Listen, the power in someone's preaching and teaching is not in how many followers they've got. Isn't it amazing today, you know, that all the Bible... I'm just, go down to the Bible store, the Bible bookstore, and all of the preachers and teachers that are, that are there, listen, the, the ladies look like they just fell out of some fashion catalog. The guys, you know, are so trendy, and they've got on skinny jeans and this million-dollar smile, and they just fell out of a CrossFit gym. I'm telling you the way it is. And everybody's like, oh, they've got so many people that go to this church and so many people that are following them. Friend, that doesn't matter. The question is, what are the people like that are following them? The Pharisees and Sadducees had followers. But what were they like? Jesus said they were hypocrites. And you need to be aware, my friend, of the evil and pretext. And the only way you can know whether something is right or wrong is to hide God's Word in your heart so that you will not sin against Him. Do you understand that this morning? Say amen. There's an evil in pretext. Listen, friend, Satan's not against religion. He is all for it. He's all for it. But it won't be grounded in the truth of God's Word. And so this man, he needed to understand He needed to know what what James taught in James chapter 1, verse number 25, which says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Listen, friend, God's word doesn't need any help. It's perfect. It's perfect. Doesn't need a listener to try to change the words or make so. And I've heard this before. People say, well, I'm sorry this is in God's word. Who are you? You ever heard some leader say that before? Well, I'm sorry this is in God's Word. 
I'm not sorry for anything, friend. I didn't write it. God didn't. If God made it, friend, it's perfect. It's the perfect law of liberty. But he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. Listen. And it's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. This guy needed to understand that what the Pharisees had to offer, it wasn't going to bless their life. It would carry somebody straight to hell. But when you internalize the perfect word of God and you're a doer of it, my friend, not only you're saved, but you live a blessed life. The evil of pretext. He needed to understand that. And third, he needed to learn the truth that we need to. That's the education with Jesus. An education with Jesus. Education that comes by spending time with Jesus. Well, look what the Bible says in verse number 10. So they're beginning to um, lay into this guy. The Jews therefore said who was cured, it's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And I, I love this answer, verse number 11. He didn't try to make any excuses. He just, the, the, the fellow that had been made whole, the Bible says, he who, he says, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. He says, why are you doing this? Well, the guy that made me well, he told me to take up my bed and walk. Now, notice this. This is just like a bunch of liberals. Uh, verse number, then they said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? They refused to cover and to report on the fact that Jesus had made the guy who couldn't walk for 38 years be able to walk. They won't talk about that. You see that in the media today, friend. Listen, they, they only wanted to report and to talk about, you know, what was beneficial to them what was beneficial to them and i'm listen i'm not trying to get up on the media i'm just saying but but listen that's what crackpot cultists do they never want to talk about the truth of god's word only the parts that they've twisted to benefit them and so how interesting that is you know so he just said all that he knew to say he said well he who made me well said, take up your bed and walk. You know, I've known you guys for 38 years, and you've never done anything for me. But this guy came by, and all I've got, I've got a brand new life. That's all I know to tell you. And so he said, take up your bed and walk, and, and that's, what, that's what I've done. So here he was now so confused. He didn't know what to do. And they asked him, and said, well, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Verse 13 says, but the one who was healed, he did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn himself before he could get to know him, a multitude being in that place. And so here he was now, very confused. He didn't know what to do. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6 says this, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is, listen, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The author of Hebrews promises that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now listen, this is after a personal relationship with him. I was sharing with our Sunday school class this morning. You hear people say, I'm sure you've heard someone say before, you know, you're talking to them about when they got saved, and they'll say, well, well, I found God, you know, in 1978. You know, have you ever heard somebody say that before? I found, well, friend, they didn't do so. God wasn't lost. He knew where he was the whole time. And no one seeks after God. God seeks after man. That's the difference, my friend, between Christianity and religion. Religion is men seeking after God. 
true New Testament Christianity is Jesus comes seeking after us. And so Jesus came and found this man where he was, crippled and lame. But now that he has this personal relationship with Christ, he's got this new life, he begins to seek more after God. He wants to know more. He wants to know more about this man that changed his life. And so he did the only thing that he knew to do. He went to the only place that represented at that time God, and that was the temple. He didn't know that it was ran by a bunch of hypocrites and thieves. All he knew was that that was the temple of God and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so he begins to go and do that. Verse number 14 says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. He turned to the one place that he knew to go where he could learn about God. And friend, I want to tell you, that's not the case everywhere in our country. There's a lot of places that have steeples on top of the buildings, and they're no longer places, if they ever were, that preach and teach the entire truth of God's Word. And people can learn a lot of things there, but they won't learn about Christ. And I pray that it will continue to be the testimony of Greenwood Baptist Church today and forever, that this is a place, friend, where people can get pure drinking water. They can always come and hear the whole counsel of God's Word, no part left off without fear and without favor, the entire counsel of God's Word preached and taught. Now, I realize, friend, the day in which we're living, that's not always going to build a crowd. As a matter of fact, it'll thin the crowd. We'll see next week in John chapter 6. When G- Listen, 5,000 people were coming to Jesus' church. 5,000 people in attendance for the Sunday that he preached. Oh, and he fed them all, friend, with five loaves and two little fishes. And all the talk there would have been about how people, man, they were in, were so happy and joyful that we found this place. But Christ really began to lay out what the life of a disciple looked like. He said, you're going to eat my flesh, you're going to drink my blood. And he was talking about spiritually. He says, I'm going to become the center part of of your life. And the Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse 66, when they heard that, many of his disciples, they followed him no more. He gave them the truth about what the life of a real disciple looks like. He says, I'm not here to turn all your scars into stars and just to give you your desires heart. You're here to die to my lordship and I'll be the lord of your life. And they didn't want that. And I'm telling you, friend, I realize that when we preach and teach that in the day in which we're living, the text we just read out, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the crowd's probably going to get thinner in the days ahead. But friend, we can at least stand before the judgment seat of Christ and know that Greenwood Baptist Church was a place where people could get the pure word of God. The pure word of God. Because that's what people need. And so that's what he's turned to. He's, he's turned to the temple now. He's reaching out. He wants to know more about God. And he's going to have this encounter with Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says in John 5, verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, and he said to him, three things, see that you've been made well, sin no more, or a, a worse thing will come upon you. Well, the first thing he told him was, you know, you've been made well. Don't you know he had to wonder that? Well, how long is this going to last? You know, well, Am I going to lose my spot down on the porch? Is this just a one-time thing? He needed to understand that this was a lifetime healing. Do you know that there are people, because of the twisting pretext, passages of Scripture taken out of context, which become pretext, there are people who go to church, they don't have the assurance of their salvation in Jesus Christ. 
They're, they're taught, friend, that you can fall away from God. Friend, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Colossians 3, 3 says, For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And if the devil had to come to me, friend, to try to pull me out of salvation, he'd end up getting saved because he'd have to come through the blood of Jesus to get to me. And there literally are. There are people, my friend, on the other side of the county, and I'm not mocking them. I'm just saying they don't have the joy of the assurance of God's salvation, everlasting life. And so they need biblical education. They need discipleship. Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. They need to, they need to understand God's Word, who they are positionally in Christ. He, he told him, he says, you... You have been made well in Jesus Christ. The, the next thing he told him was, you need to live a life of holiness. Go and sin no more. Well, friend, there's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. And he needed to begin to understand what he could do and what he couldn't do in, in the things that, that God has called. And people don't know that. It's not automatic. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. But, but sanctifying faith being further set apart for the Lord. It comes through the study of God's Word. Friend, I've shared this many times, and it's sadly true, but true on the other end too. Our country blesses laziness, but God never will. He won't do it. If you're going to know more about God, you've got to put time in the study of His Word. You know, the president isn't going to write a presidential act and just make you all of a sudden full of God's Word. You can't download the app. You have to study God's Word diligently. You've got to spend time. You want to know more about Him? You'll, I promise you this, friend. What you love, you'll study more about. What, what you are really concerned about and what is really grips your heart and grips your life, you'll study and give time to. And if Jesus is really first place in your life, it won't be a problem for you during the day at some point to set aside time to have a quality time daily in God's Word, to hide His Word in your heart, that you may not sin against Him. He says, go and sin no more. And so he needed to understand that God had called him to live a life of surrender with the new life that he had. And he couldn't separate that apart from God's Word. And then third, he said, you need to understand that if you do sin, that is, you step away from me, I'm going to tan your hide. Now, boy, you don't hear that preached and taught in the bubble churches today, do you? Huh? No, I mean, it's all about you and God loves you and all these reasons why. But, friend, I'm telling you, God called you to a life of wholeness. And the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, my friend, if you sin against God, He will discipline you because He's your daddy and because He loves you. He'll ring your bell. He'll do it. And so many times, you know, people, people have challenges that come into their life. Follow me on this. And we try to pray them out of the chastising hand of God. Difficulties will come and they won't on the prayer list. Well, we just pile on like, yeah, let's pray them out of that. Well, how do we know what God's doing? And I'm not saying, friend, listen, that we shouldn't pray for people. But if somebody's living out of the will of God, it is entirely possible God could afflict them physically... And we're trying to pray him out of that rather than just simply praying, God, your will be done. I've said it many times. 
I'll say as long as I've got married. Brother Randy Ritchie is one of the only few people I've ever met that when he would pray about a specific thing, would say, God, we don't know what you're trying to do in this, so we're just going to pray for your will. I want to ask you this morning, if you're out of fellowship with God and physically sick, why would God touch your body, my friend, and heal you just so you could keep serving the devil? So God was reminding him that when you begin to turn away in rebellion, I'll discipline you. And we need to be reminded of that. And friend, I'm, t- I'm thankful for the chastening hand of God. Listen, when I was a boy, I wasn't always thankful that my parents disciplined me. But as a man, I thank God for it. Where would I be without it? And in the moments of chastisement in my spiritual walk with Christ, I haven't always enjoyed it. But on the other side of it, I thank God for it, for where would I be without it today? Where would I be? And so he's, he's trying to give him some truths. And this is through education. Why does it break my heart? Listen to me this morning. I'm not trying to shame you. Now, I'm not trying to emotionalize anything because you know I'm void. of. I probably need more emotion. Why does it break my heart that many of you who are sitting here right now you are, right now, you already know in your mind, you're not coming back to church tonight. Many of you that are sitting here, you've already made up your mind, even though you're bodily, you're not coming back on Wednesday. You're not going to do it. Many of you that are here, you're not getting involved in a Sunday school class. You don't bring your kids to Awana. You don't have your, your youth in the youth ministry. Am I burdened about that because we don't have the numbers we want? Absolutely not. My burden and my heartbreak is because you're not getting the biblical education that you need in order to walk with Christ the way he's called you to do. You're not. You say, I want to I walk with Jesus. I want a closer walk with Jesus. I want my life to represent him. I want my marriage to be blessed by, by Christ. I want my children to know Christ and be saved. I want my children to live with Jesus. Then why would you deliberately... Not be a part of the Bible teaching ministries of this church which are designed to help you do that very thing. Does that make sense to anybody? Because it sure doesn't me, and I've tried to, friend, to make sense of it. It makes no sense. And so this man had an encounter with Christ and the, the education with Jesus. And the benefit came from the words, don't miss this, the words that he imparted to him. You say, oh, if I could just hear from God on this situation. Well, my friend, open these pages and start reading. And he will speak to you. This is his word to us. It's his word to us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 13 says, but, but, but evil men, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived in the last days. But Paul says, listen, but you must continue in the things which you've learned from the Word of God and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Listen, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man, and can I just say not adding the woman of God, it means both, the the, the person of God, the man or woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
I'm not trying to gender neutral the word of God, but I want you to understand he's not just talking about men. He's talking about that the believer may be thoroughly equipped in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You will never be thoroughly equipped apart from God's word. This man needed to learn the benefit of the education that only comes from Jesus Christ. Your life will never rise above the time that you spend with Christ. It just, it just won't do it. It never will. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, listen listen to this invitation. Jesus says to all people, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I'll give you rest. You ever just have some days, friend, you just need rest? I mean, your mind, I don't mean physically, you're tired. I mean, just your mind and spirit, you need rest. You'll only find it in Jesus Christ. He says, take my yoke upon you. That is, Plow with me. Let me direct your life. Only one oxen can lead. Two in the yoke, but one has to lead, and that's Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. He says, I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. Do you long for rest in your soul? Friend, you'll not find it apart from Jesus, and you won't find Jesus apart from his word. You can't follow Jesus apart from his word. You'll not be able to do it. Fourth night close, I want you to notice the example of faithfulness very quickly. So, so encouraging. Here this man was, there was all this hostility now against Jesus. Jesus has met with him. He told him, hey, look, I'm the one that healed you. You've been made well for always. Don't sin anymore. Grow in me. Live a life of holiness or I'll take you to the woodshed. Verse number 15, so the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. And you say, well, man, what's the big deal about that? Well, look at verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. To talk about Jesus, friend, that wasn't, you know, that would be like me standing up here and talking about a team this morning, how great they are other than the Tennessee Volunteers. Some of you would be very upset about that as you've displayed over the past six years. To talk about Jesus to the Pharisees was to talk to a hostile crowd. But this guy didn't care. Jesus had changed his life, and he faithfully gave the glory to where the glory belonged. I'm telling you, the day in which we're living, my friend, it's going to be more hostile to talk about Jesus. John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, many in the last days are going to seek to do that. They did it during his day, after he raised Lazarus. The Bible says in verse number 10, that the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. John chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Many people believed in Jesus because of it, and they wanted to put Lazarus to death because he was a living example of God's grace. I'm telling you, my friend, in these last days, you can talk about Muhammad, you can worship a gray squirrel if you want to, and you'll probably win an award for being trend-setting. You can chain yourself to a place where they test mice, you know, to try to help people be more healthy. You can chain yourself to a, to a glacier that's melting, hoping there'll be more put to it and, and talk about global warming. And you'll be heralded as just so progressive and wonderful. But talk about Jesus and somebody's going to try to shut you up. It's the day in which we're living. 
We've got to make a decision, my friend, whose applause we're going to live for. This guy wasn't concerned about popularity. He wanted to give glory and to tell everybody who had made him well. What an example in faithfulness for us. Well, what do we do with this? I want you to notice this morning, friend, all this started in this guy's life because of Christ's invitation. He had to come to a place where he had to make a decision whether he was going to stay the way he was or keep on going. I want you to listen to me. I've been pastor of this church for six years now. I just started my seventh. We've got some visitors here this morning. I don't know you. Can't wait to get to know you. Hope you'll keep coming. There's a lot of you in here I know. And some of you in here, you're attending this morning, but I know based off your testimony and the testimony of your family, you are lost in your sin. You've never been saved. You know where the church is, and you've come to church, but you've never been saved. Friend, I'm telling you, if you don't, if you die today lost in your sin, you're going to go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. But God loves you. Christ died for you. And listen, He offers you new life to rise up out of the life that you're in and begin a new life in Him. And you're not going to find it by checking the religious block, by just coming to Greenwood. You've got to be born again. You've got to turn from all your sin and trust Christ to be Lord of your life. I can't make that decision for you. You've got to choose to do it. If you've never done that, won't you do that today? You may be a visitor here. You just wanted to come to church today. I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word. He loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. But if you want to go to heaven, my friend, and you want to have life more abundantly on this earth, you've got to choose to turn from all your sin and by faith, Trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Won't you do that today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No one's looking around. Church, just pray. Don't pack up. Don't check out mentally. Just pray for the invitation. Have you ever responded to Christ's invitation truly to come to Him in saving faith and be made new? Have you ever done that? Boy, I invite you to do that right now. Choose to turn from all your sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Choose to turn from all your sin. Believe Christ died for you and trust him that is surrender your life to him right now. And the Bible says whoever does that will be saved. Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith, just like this. But it's got to be yours. You've got to mean it with all your heart. Pray today and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. I turn from all my sin. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. I trust him today to be Lord of my life. I lay my life at the feet of Jesus. God, you said you'd save me. I trust you to save me. Now make me into the man or woman that you want me to be. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Did you respond to God's invitation today? Not mine, but his. Did you respond to it? In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to make your way forward where I'm standing and to simply say, I've trusted Christ. I I responded to that invitation. What's next? And I want to tell you what the Bible says God wants to do next in your life today. Church family, you're here this morning. You say, I've responded to his invitation. I've stood, but listen to me. Have you taken up and walked? Have you, taken, have you really begun a life 
of surrender that follows Jesus every day? Or do you still hang around the same place, away from church, and live kind of the way you used to? Friend, our lives are to be marked and to be different. We're to be a doer of God's Word. We demonstrate we've really been saved that the Word of God is reality in our life. Have you been obedient in the simplest things? Are you daily continuing to walk with Jesus every day? Father, I pray you'll speak to your church, challenge us today. God, I pray for those in our midst. They've been saved, but God, they've never followed you in believers' baptism. Challenge us and remind us this morning that baptism comes after salvation. We've not been baptized as believers if it's, unless it's been after we've professed you to be Lord of our life. God, challenge those this morning who still aren't having a daily quiet time with you. Challenge those this morning who still aren't living on mission. Challenge those, God, today who aren't maximizing every opportunity for biblical education that you've led this church to put in place. Speak to us, God, and I pray our lives will be in line with your word and with your will and what you call us to do right now. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed.